You are now listening to the Here for the Truth podcast, hosted by Joel Rafidi and Erasmus Stylianessis. Welcome back, everybody, to Here for the Truth. My name is Erasmus. I'm Joel. Uh, okay, Joel, and we have a really, really special guest uh, for y'all today, Kim and Ami. Uh, so happy to have her here. And I just want to read a little bit about um, Kim here and her bio, and then we'll, we'll get into it. So Kim is here to infuse more passion into your life and bed. She is a holistic sex and relationship coach, writer, and speaker. Her work is a spiritual synthesis of over two decades of Tantra, Taoism, transpersonal psychology, philosophy, and a host of quantum growth accelerating practices she uses to propel clients into higher stratospheres of connection, intimacy, energy, and creativity. Her musings on life and love have graced Playboy, Elle, Marie Claire, Shape, The Sunday Times, UK, The Daily Mail, GQ, and national talk shows from E! Network to CNN and NPR, and now on Here for the Truth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> She divides her time between Bali and Los Angeles and a host of beaches in between where she not only lives and surfs, but lifts objects with her vagina. You can follow her globetrotting and weightlifting vagina and adventures on Instagram with the hashtag, hashtag things I lift with my vagina. Her sex education videos on YouTube, her podcast orgasmic enlightenment. And you can check her out online for all things intimacy programs at www.kimanami.com. Yeah. Welcome, Kim. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So um, I guess we want to start things off with just the topic of sexuality in general. Like how has sex been distorted through the times and how has it impacted us today in our relationships and our sense of self, etc.? Well, I would say that sex is really the original psyop, meaning it is one of the biggest lies and delusions that's purported to people all over the world from birth, right? Or even in the creation stories in different religions, like that was the event that wrecked everything. And nothing could be further from the actual truth where my view and experience and what I teach is that sexual energy is life force energy. This is the energy that creates new life. And if we're not creating babies with it, we can be taking that energy and consciously using it, generating power with it, and then infusing that into everything that we do, where we are creating our own reality with this energy. It's the ultimate free energy source. And yet all of the programming and the brainwashing around sex is that it's dirty, it's bad, it's taboo. It's just something that married people kind of do rather than it being this access point to other dimensions of consciousness, to higher dimensions of awareness. And that that's how my early experiences of sex really showed me that before I read anything about it or like knew anything externally from external sources about it. It was my own experiences feeling like this portal opened up within me and that I had access to these higher places in myself. And it actually helped me to self-realize. I became the best version of myself after having these cataclysmic sexual encounters where all of my conditioning and, you know, layers of programming would fall away and I would emerge as this more pure vehicle of who I really am. So that was my pathway into really pursuing sex as a conscious growth modality, right? Like I meditate, I eat well. To me, sex is in that 
whole genre of things that we do to become our best selves if we're using it consciously. And I think that's why there is such an orchestrated effort for people to be unconscious around sex, where we deliberately traumatize people around sex, whether it's circumcising male infants at birth or deliberate when, you know, people invade countries, they go in and they rape and they plunder, you know, the sexual abuse, the systematic sexual abuse that happened when Catholics invaded other countries and they went in and immediately, you know, went at the children. Like these are deliberate ways to taint the life force energy of entire cultures. It's deliberate, right? And so my work is all about removing these false ideas, the trauma, the programming that's been layered on top of people's pure sexual energy that we all have access to, right? There's something that I talk about called the Anami Guarantee, which is that all people can, right? A lot of conventional doctors or maybe typical sex teachers will be like, well, some people can have G-spot orgasms, but some people can't. But don't you worry if you can't, it's still okay, right? This sort of patronizing, everyone gets a participation trophy thing that I think is really quite embarrassing for those people because the truth is that everyone can, right? Every woman can have G-spot, cervical, ejaculating orgasms that hit the roof. Every woman has a high ravenous libido and can shoot ping pong balls with her vagina. Every man can have multiple orgasms and have sex for eight hours straight, learn how to separate orgasm from ejaculation. All they need are the right tools or to remove over, you know, these layers of lies that have been put upon them and then reveal what's really underneath, which is this innate power that we all have. Mm, I, you know, I love it. That's just resonating on so many levels. And I mean, it's so true. Even like the origin story of creation, like the Garden of Eden, like at at the base of all our psyches is this this innate distortion, distortion view of of, of sex as this thing that's, you know what I mean, Um, kind of the the, the reason why evil has proliferated in in, in some kind of way. And for, for the most part, unless you're diving into these topics in a real conscious way, you spend your whole life kind of tacitly not wanting to go there in terms of the, what, what, what sex really is and how empowering it can possibly be. Um, so, yeah, I just want to say that I love everything you said just then I'm looking forward to what's, what's to come here. Yeah. yeah. What I just wanted to say, just because you, you brought up a subject that I've spoken about and it's, it, and I, it, it has impacted me greatly, but even just the subject of circumcision, mm-hmm. like what we do to baby boys in this country, primarily, obviously, there's other parts of the world as well. But for a large percentage of the world, that's not a practice that is like, if I was born in Greece, I would be intact. But I wasn't. So I'm not. And, you know, it's just something that I'm curious about with your work. Because I, I agree with you, like, it doesn't matter where you are, what what you what's happened to you, you can still have these experiences. But what have you noticed working with men that are intact versus men that aren't and how has that impacted their sense of self their intimacy their their relationship with their penis like the, you know i'm just curious your thoughts because you've worked with so many people and i'm just i love your honest assessment of like what's different and what what have people who have who have been circumcised what have, do, they have to, do they have to work through i think it's massive Right. And you still have to get through this idea, like the argument of is it really 
you know, a bad thing, right? Because most people will defend it and be like, well, it's for hygiene or it's for, or because my dad, you know, want my son to look like me. Yeah. It's like this stuff, right? That you have to bust through. I would say, I love your mug. That's awesome. I would say that, um, <laughs> it's subconscious programming. Okay. We're here for the truth. <laughs> of the right kind. That's awesome. Um, so I would say that men who have been circumcised, I would say have a predisposition towards premature ejaculation, first of all, because there's this sense of like wanting to get it over with really fast, right? So to me, premature ejaculation is a symptom of avoiding intimacy because it can be absolutely under a man's control to extend his period of whatever sexual performance, but it's something that they're just defaulting to is this unconscious urge to just shut down, right? Because you can't go deep. You can't go deep on yourself. You can't go deep with a woman if you're bailing and that the stats are appalling, right? 75% of men ejaculate within three minutes of intercourse. I mean, no man is going to be deeply fulfilled and certainly no woman is going to be deeply fulfilled with that kind of experience. So I think that's a huge piece of it and some kind of like on many levels an avoidance of intimacy and having no conscious idea why right it's just that there's that fear about intimacy vulnerability sexual vulnerability and of course there would be right when you were having that thing that trauma that violation what I would consider even sexual abuse done to a boy often hours or minutes after he's born or weeks after he's born whatever tradition it is like to me it's just it's abhorrent and it's evil and you know so I think that there's just an overall avoidance of intimacy and however that manifests physically, emotionally. And then it's a recognition of that and owning that. And it's really, you know, I wanna give props and hope to men. Like I do believe that all things can be healed, but the first step is to acknowledge that it happened and acknowledge that this was a violation because if people are really in denial about it, it's never going to shift, right? And I think that even when things have been done to us and we know what we know when we know it or it was out of our control, the way part of how we heal is, is we do better and share what we know then with the next generation or whoever we can. That's part of the healing process, even for us. So I have a men's course that I run called Sexual Mastery for Men. And there's a lot of information in there about basically reconnecting to the cock and cock love and owning the cock, inhabiting the cock, lengthening, strengthening the cock, but overall just becoming in touch with your sexual energy as a man, sexual energy is this massively healing, cleansing, revitalizing force. And if we're learning to use it in the body and breathe it and recirculate it through us, it knows what to do and it knows where to go. And it will naturally heal and unblock places where we've had trauma or stuck energy it will shift that it moves through our energy meridians even without us knowing where we're directing that energy like that's next level you know practices but even yeah. through breathing and moving sexual energy through our body it will heal us and find places where we have stagnation and cleanse it out it's miraculous that way right it's the life force energy and this is what i'm saying is that when people aren't aware of that and they are dissociated from their sexual energy they're operating at a deficiency and in the most positive sense they have this tool that most people really have no idea that they have even though it's literally at their fingertips to heal and revitalize themselves and to transcend into higher states of being and consciousness. 
Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all that, you know, cause it actually relates personally to me. Like, you know, I've always been someone who can be really, really vulnerable, you know, but, but the sex act was not very intimate. There was something when I was growing up in my teens and my twenties, it was like really hard for me to feel really connected and intimate. And as I've evolved and grown and learned, like, I'm just curious about these questions of what an act at age two days old or three days old or a week old or whatever the case may be in the most sacred area of your body, the lower chakras, like the base of who you are, how that impacts you. So it's just amazing that you're, you're, you know, helping men to, to heal that and work through that. And uh, yeah, it's pretty awesome. And it's something that's just not talked about, you know, like this issue gets me really fired up because it's like, we, like what you said, it's like, you have dads who are like, well, I want my kid to look like me. You know what I'm saying? Like, like what the fuck? And from my education, like doctors, let's, let's not go get into the allopathic system, but up until 1980, they, they believed that children like couldn't remember pain or feel pain. Like that was the ruling paradigm of the allopathic system was like, oh yeah, they don't feel pain. Oh, look, they just disassociate. They, they wouldn't use those terms. Oh, the babies fell, fell asleep. They just fell asleep when it happened. So it just blows my mind that that happens. But, but again, to know that you can heal anything if you go deep enough in the body and you have respect for it. And I love what you said about like worshiping your, your cock, like falling in love with it and not being like this thing, like, oh, like, I, I don't know what this is or, you know, I don't know. I just think it's really, really important really important so it also says a lot to the state of our society where oh as a collective people are so dissociated from the power of their sexuality that it's easy to sell people on that notion to cut off your child's genitals the moment they're born right like that's a pretty massive thing right and the fact that most people just accept that like oh no problem like you know do what you have to do right it's like how disconnected are we overall that that's completely acceptable it's, for most it's mind-blowing to consider that this is the norm in our culture in in many places around the world like what is the what is the framework within our psyche that we created for this to to, to exist now and my question for you is that like do you think there is like intention from like some ancient sense in like all these religious writings like knowing what what effect it would have on on humanity and sexual connection and sexual energy that can be harnessed for 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 humans absolutely a thousand percent that it's a deliberate thing and think of the symbolism of it like cutting off that part of the body you know the symbolism of being cut off from that energy and even in you know religious teachings where they claim that there's some kind of foundation for that. If you go further in, I've seen texts that basically say it's a way to cut people off from their sexual urges or their sexual energy. And so there, you know, there's no place where there's a legitimate, well, there couldn't be because it's a ridiculous act, right? But it's all definitely coming out of that place of creating injury. I mean, Kellogg, Dr. Kellogg in the US, who is the big proponent of um, circumcision in America, Mm -hmm. actually said, you know, he wanted to get the get the boys at age 12, you know, 12, 13, 14, so that he could stop them from being overly connected to their sexual energy. He wanted to burn off female clitorises with carbolic acid. And for some reason, I don't know, they didn't accept that, but they were okay with the idea of cutting off parts of male genitalia. So I absolutely think there's a sinister, you know, it's behind yeah. it because yeah. how could there not be you know it's it's in writing <laughs> yeah, you right. know all over the place 
case. And, and this is where I think that people are quite in denial about what the, if you really understood what sexual energy is, then you would automatically see this as a deliberate affront to it. Right. If you if you buy into the notion yes. because you've been programmed that way, that sex is dirty, it is taboo, there is something kind of wrong with it, then it would be much easier to accept these ideas of burning off someone's genitals or cutting them off. Yeah, I mean, as, as always, knowledge makes man unfit to be a slave. So empowering ourselves through what's possible through, you mean, through harnessing sexual energy and learning, going out of your way to discover the benefits and what's possible for you as innately, obviously, is going to help in deprogramming from, from these concepts. But I mean, we, we're kind of programmed to deny our desires and natural urges and pleasures in general, even, even outside of sex, you mean, to have desires is, is, is to be against God in, 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 in some sense, is what we're programmed to believe. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I look, I think that the sexual energy, life force energy is such a core force that when, like I said, when people are cut off from it, they're operating at a deficiency, but when they're in tune with it, everything in their life changes. And this is one of my main messages I try to show people is yes, your intimate relationship with your partner is so much better. That becomes the super fuel that is energizing your entire life, feeding your entire life. But your body often changes because you're getting all of this juicy energy moving through you. Addictive habits that people once had will often fall away because they're not sourcing that energy from outside of themselves. They're getting it from within. They're their work life often changes. They start to do work that's more in alignment with their true selves because our sexual energy is the essence of who we are. And when they're finally in touch with it, they often stop doing things that aren't in alignment with them, whether that's work or friends or partners even, where they start to connect more to that own inner truth. And I would say like extending that out into the world is that the view, we have a much clearer view of what's happening in reality. Because if, we, if we're carrying around that massive sex delusion, that's, it's like a rose colored glass or filter that we're then using to view the entire world. It's gaslighting, right? It's mm -hmm. gaslighting. And so I feel like the more places that we have gaslighting going on in our reality that we're still a victim of, you know, we're under that spell, then we don't see anything clearly. Right? It distorts everything because we have all of these gaslighting filters <laughs> put in front of our vision. And so even now in what we're experiencing in the world, there's so much gaslighting currently. And I see myself is like the places where I've been working to remove any other remaining gaslighting in my life and my experiences is my contribution to the collective of if I can do that in my life, I'm helping to raise that vibration of truth and clarity you know not only in myself but in the world at large because that's the that's to me the main illness right now is you know being separated from the truth and this yeah. giant giant gaslighting that's going on and I think people being because it's the original psyop and one of the biggest if not the biggest if people can clear that with their sexuality it gives them I would say so much more immediate access to divine guidance their inner truth and the truth of what they observe in the world around them yeah I, I have a, a friend who went through your program and she said that her entire world changed. Um, she was grappling with like identity issues, gender issues, this and that, and like went through it and got so clear, turned on her, that life force energy, turned on the sexuality and just has just been able to see 
like the lies that are being fed in so many ways around us. I don't want to say just, but just from, from lightening that up and getting connected to that deep energy and that deep wisdom and, and getting all that energy flowing through your meridians. Like, I mean, it's, it's fucking amazing and incredible to do that. Like, and again, it goes back to even like, how can you see the truth in the world if you don't even know the truth of who you are? You, you know what I mean? Like just in general, like just like do the inner work. And of course we're focusing now on sexuality and that sexual energy and then how that fuels so much in your psyche and then how you relate with the external world as well. So yeah, it's pretty cool stuff and powerful and scary, I think for a lot of people. So I guess, I guess I'm curious for you, like what do you, like where it's like this thing that it will help them discover the truth of who they are and, and the whole world. And, and yet, oh, fuck, I'm scared of that shit. You know, like, how do you find that with people you work with? What, what's some of the resistance that comes up for people to, to accepting this and embracing this? Well, I'm really glad to hear that about your friend. And that's such a great testament to the power of sexual energy, right? This giant cleanser and truth teller and rejuvenator in all elements of a person's life. Like, I think by the time people get to me, they're ready, right? Like mm -hmm. a lot of the times what I've seen over decades of being in the personal growth world is that people can do a lot of work on themselves, even in relationships. And then they almost have to build up a certain level of stamina and then they're ready to take on the sexual piece, right? It's sort of like they've been dancing around all kinds of things, you know, their diet, meditation, their body, their whatever. And then they come upon the sex piece. And I'm usually because my work is holistic, the way they'll hear me talk about sex and the power of sex, it'll be immediately resonant, right? Like a truth that, that resonates deep inside of them. They just, no one had articulated it in that way before, right? And so you've got like, you know, like say medical people being, well, sex is good for you. Like it'll raise your, you know, your oxytocin in like this very clinical sort of way, or you've got the sort of Cosmo giggly, like, oh, here's 99 tips to play with his willy. <laughs> like, you know, like this, these extremes of like clinical, sterile and giggly juvenile. And then something in the middle of that, which is my work, which is like, you know, embracing the voraciousness, the salaciousness and the spirituality, the, the actual high energy potential of sex and using it as a conscious power source. And so I think when they hear that language, they're very ready. And so a huge part of my work, though, is what I said earlier, like removing these blockages that have been superimposed upon people and helping people to even find them, right? Like, so for you, you've already done some work to discover or acknowledge that circumcision is a trauma that was done, right? And so, okay, how do I clear this? And for some people, they might not even know that, right? Or they've had a history of sexual abuse and they've never done anything to really clear it. And so that might then manifest now as symptoms of a low libido or for women, something I call a vagina on lockdown, which is like a woman's vagina will tighten up and not open, not let anyone into it. And they'll go, you know, to their doctor and their doctors, oh, you've got this condition called vagina. It had some name for it, like vaginal dys dyspasia. I don't even know. I have to look these things up when people come to me because they're just these invented useless terms, you know? And so there's some term for it. It's like, okay, so you don't know what it is. You don't know how she got it and you don't know how to fix it. Well, I do actually, right? So, you know, inevitably that person then has a history of sexual abuse. So her vagina is locking down saying, don't come in until you heal me. I am not ready for anything until you go back and heal the trauma that's been done. 
So this is a huge part of the work that I do, right, is uncovering these things that have been laid upon the innate spirit of the person and energy of the person. Do you know, did you ever read that book, Born to Run? Oh, I have it, but never wrote it. Is it Christopher McDougall? Did he write it? Yeah, it's one of my favorite books ever. It's so brilliantly written. And he talks about how, you know, that he was part of the whole, um, what do you call it? Like barefoot running movement. Mm -hmm. And he did all this research into different cultures and even scientific studies. And he found that there's absolutely no... Um, humans were born to run, that we as a species, actually, we used to outrun our prey over long distances. So we weren't good at the short sprints, like say a tiger or a lion, but we could run for like 24 hours straight. And that's how we would catch animals. And so he, like we are born to run. So these ideas that running's bad for your knees or whatever, you know what's actually messed people up is running shoes. The thing that is sold to people as an implement to use to, you know, help them or correct them is actually what's fucking everybody up is running shoes. And this is the same idea, sexually speaking, is that people are innately born to be sexual. Every single person has this ability to be incredibly beautifully sexually expressed, but it's all of the conditioning that's been mm -hmm. put on top of them. So, you know, we're getting rid of the running shoes. That's a huge part of my work. So yeah. there, I don't, I wouldn't say that there's necessarily fear. It's more just like unconsciousness. You know, I think the, the fear gets tempered with the hope of, wow. And this is in my own podcast. I interview, I have a segment called Well-Fucked All-Stars, where I interview people who've gone through my salons, where they've gone from, let's say, never had a, having an orgasm before to, you know, having every orgasm under the sun, like all in a row, or a man who was, you know, ejaculating in five minutes, and now after a week can last an hour. So I show people that this is possible for everybody. And so I think whatever fear or anxiety is tempered by, yeah. what if I could do that too you know the hope and here's how you do it what is the correlation between um harnessing sexual energy in the right conscious way and also um ab abundance in, in in your actual life um one, one, once you've tapped into that well years ago I would observe in working with people where I'd heard you know the idea that second chakra is sex money and creativity and so it seems logical then there would be some kind of connection there right and sexual energy is creative energy and I noticed myself that the more in touch with that energy I am I use that in my day-to-day -day life I, I have a hashtag powered by a vagina because I say my vagina created my world my sexual energy created my reality and so abundance is an extension of that. So I was working with this couple years ago and we were, they were self-employed. And so their income, you know, was like this, they'd get clients, they'd do well, they wouldn't get clients. They would have to borrow money from friends, you know, and it was very, very feast or famine for them. And so we were working intensely in their relationship. And every time we would clear a significant block, we'd have a major breakthrough in their relationship. The next day they would literally get a phone call like for a job offer or, you know, somebody's like giving them money that they'd owed them for like the last year year and hadn't paid it I was like holy like this is it was that distinct you know that every yeah. time we would shift some energy they would get some money and then I've just seen that more and more and more over the years both in my own life but also in my clients where they talk about how money 
just seems to fall into their laps because their lap is what attracted it, right? Mm -hmm. It's like when you start to give your gifts back to the world and you become a self-realized person, the universe just brings that back to you, right? And I think what I said earlier is that the more that people get in touch with their own true expression and their vocation, right? They're showing up in the world and giving their true gifts to the world. And of course, the universe just rewards that and sends it back to them in abundance. Yeah. So interesting. Just quickly from an astrological perspective, like the fifth house ruled by Leo also references passion, creativity, and sex, like creativity and sex are always intrinsically linked in all these ancient divination arts. Um, So I I completely agree with your assessment there. Yeah. What has allowed, um, I guess, porn to proliferate in our culture to such an extent? Is, 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 Is this the is this the gateway or the escape route from our denial of, of the truth about sex? Yeah, I would say so. I'd say that's another massive distortion. I mean, there's a reason why it's free and available and, you know, anyone, we could go online right now and find some without having to get behind a paywall or anything like that, right? And so I do believe it's deliberate and it just removes people from that actual conscious divine source energy and looking at sex that way and it's very addictive right it's very addictive and especially for men there's like massive issues with dopamine and testosterone depletion and then having to extract themselves out of that but you know i don't know how deep you guys go into this stuff but this idea of like loose energy harvesting right that when people are offering up that energy it's actually it is being harvested by other yeah. dimensions or entities it's it's deliberate we're here for the truth so we're we're all about this information and, and i hear you there you know as someone who i would say grappled with porn addiction in my teens and my 20s like it's it's a real thing and it's something that a lot of men struggle with and it's just it's it's wild so i just it's about coming back to center doing the work that's necessary and healing yourself because what is it what is it that we want what is it that we want in that in those in this five minutes in this three minutes and then after it happens it's like i don't know many many men that feel so amazing about themselves after they do it you know it's like i just sat down in my chair looking like a little gremlin like fucking <laughs> masturbating like pulling my dick out and masturbating and then afterwards i just felt amazing and i just wanted to go and connect with my wife or go you know write a novel or do all these things you know what i mean it's just like this is not the case yeah Yeah. And I think that you do feel like that when you're having what I call gourmet sex. Like I would call porn an expression of junk food sex, right? You get a quick hit, a high momentarily, and then you're depleted versus gourmet sex where you're feeling nourished and energized after that. And what was I going to say about that? Something more about your analogy of um, a, gr- a gremlin, gremlin having sex, a gremlin with his dick out, just jerking off in front of a screen. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, there's something, it'll come to me, but I guess, um, well, you know, I, I have something I call meditate, masturbate, create MMC, where I suggest to people that they go and, oh, oh, okay, the archetype of the feminine, like I think the allure on a more deep level is the archetype of the ever available 
completely open, sexually feminine, right? That's kind of the promise of porn. It's not the true promise, but it's like the message of a woman who's always ready, always available, always there for you, right? We'll do anything. And I think in a really harmonious, intimate relationship, that is the truth, right? The couple is so connected that the woman is fully open, is fully surrendered. Everything's on the table or in the bed because you guys are that close and intimate, not from a, a cheapened, you know, junk food, let's take the box and do the sex act, but because she's so fully open in trust and surrender and vulnerability, right? So I think that's the, the hidden promise of, of, of porn. But um, the way that I talk to people about using their energy instead is if they were, if they were to self-pleasure, breathe that energy up and then go do something, right? Like I call them coffee breaks. I don't do... Um, I don't do coffee, I do orgasms, right? Like, so throughout the day, if I'm feeling a bit of low energy, I'll go and self-pleasure or connect with my partner or use my jade yoni egg and breathe and recirculate that energy and then go back to work and feel mentally and creatively revitalized because I've actually used that energy and harnessed it. And now I'm channeling it out into my work. So what you described can happen. I just wouldn't say it's happening with porn. Got it. I've, I've heard this concept so often of um, harnessing that energy upwards, like even like ejaculating up the spine, the whole Jacob's ladder idea. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that and what that actually is? Well, most people, when they get sexually aroused, they have a buildup at the genitals and they just eject all that energy out of them into the mm. ethers. And that's really shown when men pass out after ejaculation, right? They're so depleted. They've taken all that energy out. And so from the ancient Taoist and tantric traditions is the idea that instead of ejecting that energy out of us, we take it and recirculate it internally so we have it to use. Mm. And so the easiest way to do that is through deep breathing, right? So a good four count inhale four count exhale breathing that energy throughout the body and you know in more advanced practices you can visualize that energy coming up the spine or moving it throughout your body directing it to different places in the body as a healing energy but even deep breathing will do it you know because most people when they're especially men people when they're getting sexually aroused they tend to breathe really shallow hold the breath tighten up the body like <laughs> just you know collapse right everyone's seen that face every woman yeah. knows that face unless you guys are using a mirror you'll know it too um and, <laughs> and then pass out right which is that's the barometer that what i say to people after you have sex do you feel energized rejuvenated transformed and like it changed your life and if not, then you're doing it wrong, which is not a judgment. It's just saying that sex ought to give you energy rather than take away energy. That is the true use of sex. So that's what these traditions were really all about in ancient India and China was how do we use sex as an energy source? How do we use sex as a healing source? How do we use sex as medicine for ourselves? Yeah. What do you think is the biggest issue facing men and women, like in partnerships that you find and couples you work with, what do you think is the biggest issue or a few big issues? 
Well, I'd say one of them is just this idea of clearing blockages, right? Is like people were fed this notion in the culture that after two years, it's normal for a relationship not to be that sexy anymore. And you just have to deal with it. You know, welcome to your life, right? <laughs> like you'll have a boring relationship for the rest of your life, like hormones toward it. Like it's not that at all. It's like grow or die. People get to a plateau. They don't have the tools to really up level and take things to the next level in their relationship and so they go backwards right so dealing with blockages having the tools to figure out well how do we keep growing in our relationship to keep going forward and then I'd say the, the other in addition to that is like the masculine feminine dynamics the idea of sexual polarity where yeah. you know you guys discussed this on the podcast not not yeah. in depth well, um, you mean masculine feminine polarity yeah no I mean we yeah, talked a little bit about like just the feminization of men and like yeah. the you know alpha beta uh, alpha beta which I want to get into with you as well so yeah so look you know in modern culture where women have taken on more masculine traits to try to get things done and achieve in the world and then men have taken on more feminine traits to you know get more in touch with their emotions and which is all good except that you know it's neutralized the idea of polarity where if we have a strong masculine charge and a strong feminine charge we attract and if you have two feminines and two masculines we repel each other right and so out as a result of the you know, equality movement, which is great. Women should vote and work and do whatever they want. But like, there's this idea that neutrality was the goal, right? Mm -hmm. Of having a really gender neutral relationship. And now in the whole social justice warrior arena, that's another thing, right? Like gender doesn't exist. Male and female don't exist. Like the apps, like I've spoken out about this before. Like to me, that's absolutely ludicrous. And another giant psyop, you know, that's mm -hmm. basically yeah. paving the way for trans humanism where we don't have humans who reproduce naturally we have machines or test tubes or whatever right like it's got many layers to it but I think that's one of them so I think that's a really a big aha moment like I can't think of a single think of a single couple or individual who's done my work and not been like oh because for many couples let's say the woman is a lot in her, her masculine energy and the man is in his feminine energy and they're butting heads, right? And so by masculine, feminine, maybe I'll break that down a little bit. So if we look at the archetypal qualities of masculine and feminine, so feminine is like this idea of openness, receptivity, surrender, going with the flow. Masculine is about really getting out there and taking action and getting things done, being assertive. And we both have masculine and feminine, but I would say that men tend to have more masculine women tend to have more feminine and that's beautiful you know I believe that we celebrate these archetypes and differences and value them and enjoy them rather than trying to pretend they don't exist right yeah. and so or call them toxic or call them toxic or call it toxic you know right say. right there can be toxic yeah toxic masculinity and toxic femininity that there might be some truth in mm -hmm. that but generally what people are labeling as that isn't right they're just they're just you know criticizing it in general so people exist in this dynamic where often often what happens is that in the modern world the woman is taken on more masculine energy she is the ruler of the house she is um, she sees the reins in the relationship and in their lives because she feels like the man can't, 
And so the man is feeling belittled, criticized by the woman. And so he has stepped back in the relationship and he's just letting her lead the way. Like, whatever you say, honey, like doesn't want to have a fight, doesn't want to get into it. It's just like, whatever, I'll concede. But that makes her more angry and he is resentful. And so they're existing in this, you know, constantly butting heads. They're not happy, right? I have never, ever in my whole career of doing this work found a couple who is happy with the woman being in the masculine and the man being in the feminine if i scratch the surface they're miserable and frustrated and really upset and so then there's this work to help the woman accept and you know inhabit more of her feminine and the man inhabit more of his masculine and i've been talking about that lately in the beta alpha male idea <laughs> and that's where I see people most flourish and be the most happy when they are in the bodies that they were given. Yeah. No, and absolutely. I feel like when you, when you think of porn, when you think of Hollywood, you know, negative role modeling, when you think of all these things there, it's like another psyop to, to take masculine men and make them more feminine or alphas to turn them into betas. Because in my view is if you have a bunch of betas and there's shit going on in this world, who's going to stand up? So, you know, it's easier to take over a society, take over a culture um, when there's a bunch of betas running around. Those are my thoughts. So, Yeah, um, I don't know if you've read um, The Way of the Superior Man by David Data, but he talks about this a lot in, in his work as well. Um, you mean how the, these polarities are out of balance for most of us. Um, and a man needs to be connected to his purpose first and foremost to really embody his masculine Whereas these days now, um, men, they, they feel, they feel guilty or they feel bad for not helping as much around the house not helping as much with the kids, not, you know what I mean? So we, we, they've kind of, to some extent, um, given, given up their purpose or given away their purpose or put their purpose as secondary. But when a man is in his alpha and is connected to the masculine, he's driven by his purpose first and foremost, and his woman is supporting him in that. Um, and she's, I guess, um, yeah a counterpart in that in that relationship yeah he does amazing work around polarity i'm very familiar with his work and yeah. um i mean i agree with that like that a man it's really important for a man but i and a woman too to be connected to their mm -hmm. life force energy right like yeah. their dharma right the gifts that they have to give to the world i think if they're not connected to that people are miserable they oh, may not absolutely. know why they're miserable but you know so it's a huge thing for both men and women mm. yeah i agree you think this is a good place to stop part one yeah i think this is a beautiful place to to stop part one um to the public that's listened so far thank you so much for for tuning in um this has been an incredible conversation with, with Kim thus far. Um, if you'd like to continue on, please consider joining our community over at Patreon. There's lots going on over there and you get access to our entire full episodes and the rest of this episode too. Um, Kim, anything you want to leave our public audience with before we let them go here? Yeah, I mean, go and check out my Orgasmic Enlightenment podcast, my YouTube channel. I have tons and tons of free information and techniques out there to help get you on the path. Awesome. Cool. To our members, keep listening and we'll be with you shortly. Thank you. Okay, welcome back to our members. Thank you so much for your support. We're back here with Kim Anami, uh, amazing holistic sex and relationship expert. And 
we want to start with this. You speak about this a lot on your podcast and blogs and Instagram, the differences of orgasms. Like you mentioned, I know G-spot, cervical and other ones. And I'm just curious what the differences are. Cause you know, there are women out there probably like, I don't even know if I've even had an orgasm, you know, let alone like there are all these different ones we can have. So if anything you want to share on that, just to give a little like foundation on, on the differences and, and the benefits. Yeah. So look, I'm all about vaginal orgasms for women. And most women would say that they have clitoral orgasms. And we think of the clitoris as being the little bulb and at the top of the vulva, usually stimulated externally. And I say to women, you know, the good stuff is in the vagina. The clitoris is literally the tip of the iceberg. It's 10% of the pleasure and power that you can experience sexually. And so in the vagina, it's like, Van Gogh's starry night sky. There's all of these pleasure points and pressure points. There's a whole acupressure map within the vagina. And so all of that is available to the woman. And the deeper you go, the deeper you go. And so in my experience and how I teach, is that clitoral orgasms are much more superficial. Like they're kind of fun. It's like eating some sugar, you get a bit of a, of a hit, but they're not gonna change your life. And I want to change people's lives. I want people's sexual experiences to change their lives. And so by having deeper internal vaginal orgasms, so G-spot orgasms primarily, and then cervical orgasms as the holy grail, right? So the most transcendent, life-changing, ecstatic, last for days even orgasm that a woman can have. And both of these orgasms require more surrender, more openness, more sexual self-knowledge from the woman. And to be with a partner, she feels safe and like she, it's safe for her to let go. Like if I fall, you will catch me. That's the experience in there. And so because of that, because she needs to traverse these deeper and more um, profound places in herself to get there, they're not that easy, right? If it was that easy, you could read any article online that says, use the two fingers, do the come hither motion, and why are women not having these orgasms left, right, and center? That's because what separates the wheat from the chaff or the clitoris from the vagina is this deeper process of really letting go, right? So when you mentioned, do people ever have fear and anxiety, I would say there's an element of that to these deeper organs orgasms of this precipice, right? This void that women need to open up and jump into to get to these higher, deeper levels. And so it's a full like letting go, right? A, a rebirth. This, this really is the epitome of that French phrase, the little death and rebirth, le petit mort. Mm -hmm. And that happens in the vagina. And so I say that vaginal orgasms for women really are essential good fuck medicine because they're therapeutic, they're transcendent, they are cleansing, rejuvenating, cataclysmic, and bring a woman into her true self. And so if she's not having them, she's really missing out on a lot. And so Again, every woman can have them. It's just a matter of women knowing that the journey inward is really the journey inward, right? Like for example, the cervix is the heart point for reflexology in women. And so a woman really needs to be open-hearted. It's not the kind of orgasm she would just have with casual sex or with her partner that she's feeling defended against. So let's say that the couple has an argument at breakfast time, right? And they go to have sex after dinner 
and they haven't really cleared that argument. They haven't resolved it, right? And so she probably in her body that will register. She might not get as wet as she normally does. She won't be able to reach those deeper orgasms because there's something lingering in the space. I talk about the internal feng shui of the relationship. And the same thing could happen to the man. He might not get a really strong erection or he might come extra quickly because there's unresolved stuff in the space. So that's where orgasms really are barometers and these deeper, more profound orgasms, even more so, right? It's like the there is no pretending here. There is no lying here, right? Like the body knows the truth. And when you bring it the truth and you bring it this full openness, it will, it will, if you build it, they will come. Yeah. Is this something too, where also like things can be passed down through generations? So like, um, you know, someone's like having these issues, but it's like, well, they come from a lineage of people who haven't done the inner work or haven't had these kinds of experiences. And so, you know, it's all about breaking the cycle and doing the work. And you brought up like the meridian system and reflexology. So it's like, I'm assuming there are exercises and types of massage or things that you can do to, to fire up and get those meridians clear and, and, uh, and the energy flowing. So you can waken up those those uh, the, the impulses or the nerves to, to allow something like this to happen. Is that true? I'd say that's part of it, but I'd say the primary work is internal, meaning energetic and emotional. So the physical stuff can help move mm -hmm. energy, yes, but I'd say the primary work is you know, you mentioned potentially like, you know, generational stuff, which I think we all carry, you know, we are the product of, but we can heal these things in ourselves, right? We can be, it stops with me. And if you believe in the idea of miasms where the healing you do can go backwards in time and forwards in time, right? Can actually affect the lineage in both directions. So, um, that's the bulk of what I do is this internal work. I can give people the right techniques and sure, sometimes a technique is better than another technique, but that's probably 15% of what really gets people there, especially for these deeper experiences, right? It's having to clear that inner space through examining blockages, you know, recreating your beliefs, um, you know, optimizing your entire like view of what sexuality is and then bringing that forward, clearing out your relationship, you know, doing feng shui in the relationship like that example I gave about having an argument at dinner. For most couples, they'll have years, if not decades of unspoken stuff, unresolved stuff. And I often use this analogy of a clear pane of glass that exists between a couple and you're on one side, your partner's on the other side. And when you first come together, you're often like really earnest and open and honest and you share everything and that glass stays clear as the relationship goes on you like oh I don't want to say that I might hurt their feelings like a splotch of mud goes on the glass another sin of omission a splotch goes on the glass a white lie splotch goes on the glass an outright lie mud brick goes on the glass to the point where people build up then this barrier between the two of them and no one feels excited or attracted or turned on behind that barrier and so a huge part of what I do is a technique actually clearing the glass that's what I talk about is how do we clear the glass between us and the glass clearing might be decades old stuff that's crud that we need like a power washer to get off the glass and like a jack hammer or it could just be like I said an argument earlier that day that we just need to talk about it address it and then move on but 
that's the inner work is like that metaphor of glass cleaning within the relationship and within ourselves, right? So let's say for you, like as a man, a man who's been circumcised or a man who's had sexual abuse or a man who's had a couple of bad relationships, he hasn't really healed from, right? All of that baggage then is brought into the bed. Like think of the princess and the pea, except people have got suitcases, you know, like wedged under their mattresses and people are like sleeping on them, you know, like, Oh, why is my back totally out? Like your back, you know, it's like that serious, right? Where the pain can be that distinct from all of this stuff that people are carrying around, depositing in their beds, but never addressing. Just getting used to having a bad back and then going to the chiropractor because they think they have a back problem, right? When really it's all of this other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really like what, what we're talking about is shadow work at, at, at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, in each individual, because again, you kind of need both people to do their own individual work as well in order yeah. for this to happen. Because if not, then it's just, it's just, there's going to be issues, I think. I fully agree. And I talk about demon hunting, right? That we don't let our demons just come to us. We go out there, we hunt them down. We try to figure out like what we have, you know, in the yeah. shadows we need to address and then alchemize but you're right is that like both people for my work really to be effective both people need to be doing it if one person's doing it then I often say to people because they'll come to me and say well I really want to do this work but my partner's not that into it and I'm like okay you start doing the work and usually what will happen is like they'll notice changes in you and be like oh well geez, like, what, is, what are you doing? Because you're so different, you know, you're more easygoing or you've let go or you want to give me more blowjobs or whatever it is, right? And so, but then the, so that person might then be, you know, intrigued to follow along in that work. Or if they're not, then that other, the first person will be like, well, I'm clear about where I am and what I want and I don't want this. But yeah, it doesn't, it really, long-term, it doesn't work unless both people are participating. Because I say there's three entities in the relationship. There's you, there's me, and there's the entity of the relationship itself. And each of them needs to be doing conscious work. Yeah, I agree fully with that. Mm. Um, In the intermittence there, you're talking a little bit about this this whole sexual psyop. I'd like to dive a little bit, a little bit deeper on that with you. Like, well, what do you, how, how is, how does that appear t- today, and how does that appear in our relationships, and how do we begin to cleanse that? Like, what is, what is, what is the programming that can be undone, and how can we go about that work? I think it's identifying the beliefs that we've taken in from these various levels and messaging of the PSYOP, right? So for example, a message that women often take in that's repeated all over the culture in movies, advertising is like Madonna whore, right? Where the woman is either a slut or a hooker. Do you notice like every Hollywood movie has a hooker? There's always a hooker always, you know, even if she makes a brief appearance, right? Like just to reinforce that paradigm or she's a virgin. She's, you know, needs to be coerced into having sex. There really isn't a place for a happy medium of a woman to exist with a healthy relationship to her sexuality. And so that's been imprinted upon women and men. And so it's identifying, okay, so maybe I don't want to believe this, but I think I've taken it in, right? Most women will have grown up with that fear. If they're too sexual, they're going to be called a slut 
or a whore or whatever it is, right? Some denigration about her sexuality if it's too obvious or she's enjoying it too much. So she's going to have internalized that. So it's trying to make as you say, the shadow or the internal, external, the unconscious conscious. What have I believed? Okay, so I'm, I'm a feminist. I, I know I'm entitled to good sex, but some part of me has still taken that in. Right. So what do we do then to exorcise that, to shift mm -hmm. it? And then what do I want to believe? Well, I want to believe that women are healthy, voracious, multi-orgasmic, libidinous creatures who are ejaculating until they're 80 years old. That's what I'm going to take on. Right. And then the same thing for men. You know, maybe the men might buy into this idea like, Oh, men aren't really supposed to be with one person. It's men's role to spread the seed and women's role to tend the seed. Like I could never really just be happy with one woman, you know, like, again, maybe you're like, well, I'm a conscious advanced man. I don't, I don't really believe that, but maybe a little part of you does, right? Like a little part of you is still, well, how could I not fucking believe it when it's like, I get bombarded with that message every day, all the media that I watch, you know, or have watched or, or just imprinted upon us. And so it's just getting rigorously honest with that and trying to identify those potential things or beliefs that we've taken in and then replace them mm. right and if we have a conscious partner then we have that that ability to have those conversations with them and to help identify and call it out and see it in each other and then to go forward and create consciously create the relationship we want and I have coined a phrase conscious monogamy which is that mm -hmm. my assertion is that most people are not in monogamous relationships or you know they're in unconscious relationships like they just have shitty relationships they um just got a little freeze there so they 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 live in a place where they live in that tacit don't ask, don't tell. They're not ha having radical honesty between them. They don't, maybe they don't have sex with other people, but they're not really having sex with each other. They're not having deep, powerful, holy fuck style, gourmet sex, three hour orgasms, hit the ceiling, feel cracked open and obliterated kind of sex. They're having whatever, you know, maintenance sex, if they're even having that. So to me, that's not even really monogamy. That's just a shitty relationship. So when people say like monogamy doesn't work, I'm like, well, your shitty relationship doesn't work, but I don't think you even know what monogamy is because you're not even experiencing it. You know, you don't have a deep, powerful, life-changing relationship. So when people ask me that because polyamory is a big topic these days and like, well, what do you think about polyamory? And I'm like, well, I don't think about it. Okay, so, you know, my, my view is that when people are having conscious monogamy, they are extremely fulfilled. And over the decades of being around all kinds of different people, close friends of mine, even, you know, spending time within those polyamorous communities, you know, inevitably, like the, the couples are like, well, we're so liberated, we're so evolved because we have this polyamorous relationship. And then I scratch under the surface, like I talk to them to see like, well, what's your history? Like, how did you get here? Well, you know, the wife has had sexual abuse trauma, and we got to this standstill in our relationship. And instead of actually doing any work on that, they just decided to fuck other people and open up their relationship, right? And so every single couple I've talked to, there was always a moment like that, that where they got stuck. And instead of diving deeper into that work, they opened up their relationship. So I had a couple who, um, 
came to one of my Bali retreats years ago, young, maybe, you know, early thirties, really hot, attractive couple, had a pretty good sex life, but she'd never had G-spot orgasms before. And that was her big goal for the retreat. She wanted to have a G-spot orgasm. She wanted to squirt. That was her like big thing, right? So my retreat is like a microcosm of the work and my whole philosophy around sexuality. So on the first day, we have big conversations about block clearing and demon hunting and shadow work. And then I send them off to do this work with themselves, right? These intense conversations. And we're like, where's the champagne and blowjobs? I'm like, you'll get there after you have, after you clear some space, you know? So they go away, they do that. They, um, then the next day we're talking about female orgasms. So G-spot, cervical, squirting. And so this couple, Okay, and this couple had had the, in their life, they would occasionally invite other people into their bed. That was part of their whole dynamic, right? So, so that next night they go to do their homework on the G-spot and they started exploring and didn't really go anywhere. And they were like, look, let's finish off the conversations we were having yesterday about the block clearing and, you know, stuff in our relationship that's piled up over the years. Let's deal with that. So they stayed up to like one in the morning, having these deep conversations every morning we have yoga and meditation they skipped yoga and meditation and they were like let's work on our g-spot home play this morning instead so they did and she ends up having her very first g-spot orgasm she's like ejaculating all over the sheets all over his face she's laughing hysterically she's crying uncontrollably she's having this massive cathartic release right and it was hilarious because like throughout the week then afterward there's everybody has their own bungalows on this sort of rice terrace and you know you could see people's bungalows but you're not in earshot or you couldn't really see inside of them but we would watch like in the afternoon like the the man would come with his sheet he'd come to the edge of the balcony and like shake the sheet out and like lay it like to dry out on the railing because she just kept you know drenching it with her ejaculate so they come back um and they're talking about how you know they hit they finally felt like they'd hit some breakthroughs in this old stuff of theirs. And then the next morning, she has her first G-spot orgasm. So it's the most beautiful example of them, you know, rolling up their sleeves, getting in there of their past stuff and cleaning it up. If you build it, she will come, right? So then she's like squirting her little heart out, you know, for the rest of the week. So fast forward to the end of the week, we're having breakfast together on the last day. And she, they said, you know, now having experienced these depths in our relationship, we don't feel like we want to invite people into this anymore. Like we have never really gotten to this place. And now that we're here, you know, like this is like, who knows what will happen in the future, but the way we're feeling right now, we don't think we want that anymore. You know, we're really like, we want to explore this. We're like, this is what we want. And, you know, to me, that's a really good illustration of most people just haven't really reached that depth. And I'm sure, you know, if there's people watching this and they, they think they really have, and like, I'm like, I'm open to finally meeting a couple where their, their open relationship was not the product of a standstill at some point, you know, and that they really do have that depth with each other before they 
you know, bring other people into that dynamic. I just haven't seen it. And I've been around for a while and asking people and studying this for a while. I'm open to it. Maybe it'll show up and, you know, but my overall experience is that even when people, because there's the brave facade that people give publicly, their story about why they're, like I said, I've always heard like why they're so evolved. Like this is the yeah. way, you know, this is the, the modern way. We're more evolved than you because we're doing this. And it's like, well, they've never really had that depth and intimacy because when you have it I believe that people really are infinite and endless and you don't need to be having sex with multiple people like to me if that that idea that you're having sex with the same person for 20 years or 30 years well the only way you'd be having sex with the same person is if you're both committed to stagnation if you're both growing and evolving you're becoming different people all the time so you're actually having sex with different versions of each other all the time you're in a relationship with different versions of each other all the time unless you're totally committed to never changing then yes you probably are having sex with the same person for 20 years yeah I love that you brought up this subject because I lived in New York City for eight years I've been in LA Los Angeles for eight and a half years and especially like you said like oh we're so evolved it just feels like polyamory has become this thing in like the, the spiritual communities and like we're so evolved and then you know, men and women or well, narcissistic men to some degree, I feel like. And I've, I've always said that it feels like a lot of people are playing out their mommy and daddy issues under the guise of sexual liberation. Like we're so liberated when it's like you just said, like, the, have they done the work to go deep, deeper, deeper, deeper? And I say this not as someone who's like this fully enlightened master super cock man, because I'm not, I'll be the first one to say that. And I say this as someone also who part of me wanted to have be in that world for reasons that I knew were coming from a place of insecurity, from wanting validation, because I knew I could probably do well in that world, like, you know, like, be smooth and charismatic. And, and it just, when you realize where it's coming from, I'm like, nah, no, I'm not into it. And there's just a lot of drama. And I'm not, I don't want to knock anyone who's happy and healthy in that world. But like you said, you in your all your years, it's like, it's been hard to find someone who hasn't entered that from a place of like total consciousness and being in the most conscious monogamous relationship and then going, Hey, why not? Let's do this. You know? And, and I've experienced more drama from people that I know in that world than anywhere else. So anyways. I, well, I feel like that's quietly swept under the rug, right? Because it destroys that image of this being such an amazing thing. And look, if people truly are having satisfaction out of that, like power to them. And I, I do, you know, one thing I have noticed that I've seen improve through those relationships is, is when a couple has a kind of a don't ask, don't tell relationship, right? Like not a radically honest relationship. And one of the things you really need in an open relationship is radical honesty, right? And so I've seen couples up-level their relationship from a place of radical, you know, dishonesty, really, where it's actually gotten better. The quality of the relationship has gotten better through that because they've now entered into an arena where they're more honest. They're, they're really communicating openly. They're not hiding those things. I still don't think that that's as good as a conscious monogamous relationship, but I have seen that improvement, you know, where they went from your typical, you know, lie, white lie, whatever kind of BS relationship to then at least being honest about what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Kim, I'm curious and like whatever you're, you're, you're willing to share, like what were some of your like rites of passage, like, like in your life that got you to being this 
who you are and, and helping people. Like, I'm just curious a little bit of your journey. I know you've traveled a lot and you've surfed and, but I'm just curious what you're willing to share around that. Like any like teachers that you found or um, books that um, you've read or life events. Joel, yeah, like that. the aha moments where it was like, oh, this is my life's work. You mean those, those realizations? Well, like from a young age, even in my teens, like I, I, I guess, you know, probably like in high school, I had this sense of like where I was going. I had planned out like a university path for myself, like this more like mainstream kind of life. And I had these quite pivotal realizations. Like, I don't think that's my path. And then I was like, well, what is my path? Because like, that was what I had envisioned for all these years. And what am I going to do? Right. And I'm a very achievement oriented person. So that was really disorienting for me. And then it really turned into like, okay, well, what's the next right thing? You know, like I went and lived in London because I wanted to study acting. And then I wanted, I moved to North, back to North America and studied shamanism with some, you know, First Nations tribes because I wanted to do that. And, you know, it just was like, follow the next right thing. And then that, you know, even in my late teens, I had this real interest in how do we change? How do we grow? How do we self-actualize? Like I'd read about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and I was like self-actualization, right? It's like, okay, that's the peak. And what, what and I had, you know, slivers of that, like things that made me feel like the best version of myself. And so that led to me studying all these different modalities from philosophy, transpersonal psychology, meditation, health, fitness, and then sex. Sex was one of those things that I would have sex and feel like I had taken drugs, like I had taken ecstasy, like I had had these total changes in my consciousness. Like I did a podcast on the psychedelics of sex. I'm like, you don't need anything external. You can get it from within. And so that was just this kind of then amalgamation of all of these things. And then I started doing coaching because I realized I had just amassed this wealth of tools and information that people were then seeming to be interested in. It's like, well, maybe I become a teacher of this stuff because, you know, it's sort of naturally happening that way. And then I would, I, you know, brought sex into that. And when I would give talks or speak to people, it was like, the sex thing, they were like, you are so fired up when you talk about sex, like you're excited about this other stuff, but something about you is just like on fire when you're talking about sex. And I took that in and I remember years back, there's this um, uh, thing around the world called Pachachka. It's spelled Picha Kucha. It began in Japan and it was this event where they would invite creatives to do this slideshow of your inspirations, so like architects, artists, painters, whatever, philosophers. And you do, it's like six minutes and you get 20 seconds or is it 30 seconds for 20 slides? And you put together like kind of a composite of a lot of the things that have inspired and shifted you over the course of your creative career. So I was invited to do this thing. And, and I spoke to a friend of mine before and I was like, do I go for it? Like, do I really go for it? Because I was like, things that inspire me are eating calm, you know, like getting well fucked, right? And I'm like, do I just like go for it? 
for it, go for it. So I did, so there's like 1200 people. And, you know, some of my, my influences were like nature or I don't know, I can't even remember, but like I had this one slide of like, there's a woman, she's like, just, she's got like, it's a beautiful artistic photo. She's got some calm on her chest and it's like a silhouette of she's got like a cock in her face and stuff. And I, I put this thing up, right? And then there's like this moment of shock in the audience, like silence, like they're just like, is that what are you thinking? And then they just start howling and screaming and laughing. And it was just like this, you know, affirmation about going for it, like yeah. unbridled, uncensored. Like there was a write-up in the in like a local paper about it afterward. Like this, I was the highlight of the night, you know, with this presentation and stuff. Cause I just with my spiritual and sexual tips. And, you know, that's been a real, like I'd say that was sort of a pivotal moment of, you know, do you do, do you dilute your truth? and your voice mm. or do you go full throttle and throw it out there and the reaction was full throttle that's what is igniting people right yeah. and how I had the most fun you know I had a blast doing that and I think that's been my whole philosophy going forward right like if it and also if it cracks me up if it makes me laugh like I start you know, pissing myself laughing because I think it's fucking hilarious like I've just made myself crack up that's a good sign right like when I did the whole hashtag things I left with my vagina okay so this is a, a good story too like I hired these guys to create like a promotional video for my vaginal kung fu course and we had all these like funny things like I was lifting garden gnomes and doing all this stuff but like when I saw the final edit I was like something is just not right about this video like it doesn't I don't know it, I don't think I can release it right so I spent all this money on it and it was like oh like I still need something like I'd like to try to do different creative projects to promote my work right mm -hmm. And, um, and then it came to me, like, I think, you know, that gnome meme where people steal garden gnomes from people's yards and they take them all over the world and then they shoot photos of them and send yep, them yep. back mm -hmm. to the people. Something tweaked in me around the idea of me lifting objects with my vagina, so vaginal weightlifting all over the world in different locations, like the meme of the gnome, the garden gnome, like ignited something in me. And so I was like, hashtag things I lift with my vagina. This is amazing. So I immediately like called my photographer. I'm like, let's go do a bunch of shoots around LA. I'll lift some donuts because those are like in this gluten-free coconut sweetened organic donuts from Cafe Gratitude, like I'll lift some of those, I'll lift a crystal on the beach, you know, I'll lift some organic juice from whatever, like creation or something, you know, like all these like LA, indigenous LA things. And then when I was on my way to Bali, I lifted like coconuts and mangoes and bananas and stuff. And then this thing went super viral, right? Like the most viral thing that I'm known for, like all over the world, publications all over the world. And, you know, it was okay. So I'm put to so the moral of all that is like, I'm putting out the creative energy of this video, right? Like I'm doing my part. I'm showing up. I'm taking risks. I'm putting myself out there. The video didn't meet my ultimate standards, but through the process of that, you know, and also in acknowledging that, right? Like that, okay, that isn't quite up to my standards. I'm going to not do it. But the universe then gives me this other inspiration of like hashtag things I love to buy with John, which is like the biggest campaign I've ever had now, you know, ever. And 
and it becomes this massive success. Like, you know, I have a great time doing it. Like we traveled later to Italy and Spain and Morocco, like the following year, like doing all these lifting shots, me with a camel, me lifting a Murano glass chandelier, you know, and it's like all of that coming back. So it's like putting being creative and taking chances and putting yourself out there and and in that constant flow right like I'm a big that's big for me is like trying to do things that I haven't done before or say things in a way that I haven't done before how do I keep challenging myself mm. and then that barometer if it makes me laugh so I had said that thing to myself like hashtag things I look my vagina I was like that's fucking hilarious like <laughs> I'm gonna do that right And then it becomes this massive thing, you know? So if it turns me on, that's a sign, you know, that it's a good idea. And that if we're really in flow and, you know, in touch with our sexual energy, it is a creative power that propels us out into the world and turns other people on, like maybe literally with like sexually, but just, you know, creatively, like makes them laugh or, you know, tweaks an idea in them, helps them to see something differently because that whole vaginal weightlifting Jade Egg thing is all about creating pelvic floor strength for women, right? Mm -hmm. So I could have been, the headline could have been, woman says, exercise your vagina so you don't pee your pants. Like not a very enticing headline, but true right? That is the underlying like truth of the work where, and instead it was like woman adventurer travels the world, lifting objects with her vagina, right? And then the sub headline is talking about vaginal strength and whatever, but it's a much more interesting, fun, playful, appealing way. And that's, that's my way, right? That is my way of talking to people about sex and giving them this information is creative, playful, a bit irreverent, but also very reverent at the same time. And that's my niche that I've created for myself where I love to be. And, you know, like I said, the barometer of, does it turn me on? Does it light me up? Does it make me laugh at myself? Well, that's a good idea then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, that's incredible. Um, like, Part, part of my work is encouraging people to go and do what they really want to do. But the issue is, is that people aren't inclined to chase what excites the most. You know what I mean? Like, why, why can't you go for what excites you? But I feel like awakening this sexual energy, you realize that you should be going for what excites you. And that's kind of a correlation into your, into your life outside of the sexual realms of just simply going for what excites you most. You know what I mean? And, and why, why can't you have that? And why can't that be the barometer for yourself and for the highest ideal? And yeah. this is something that's that's lacking in in most of us. We just numb ourselves down. We we limit we limit our potential. Um, we, you mean we, we we take we take second or third best because we believe that we can't have what livens us up more than anything. Yeah, I agree too. And like again, our podcast is called Here for the Truth, uh-huh. and it starts with internal truth too for yourself. And what I loved about your story when you had the different pictures up there and you said "fuck it" and you were the talk of the town is that you were just like, fuck it. Like, this is me. This is who I am. This is what lights me up. And when you do that, when you live your truth, you're going to attract all the other truth seekers and the truth livers and the people who are doing it themselves. And then you're not going to be that person sitting around being like, oh, why do I, why do I attract all the shitty relationships? Why do my friends, why are they crazy? Like, like if you're not, when you're living your truth, you're just going to attract dope ass people in your life, you know? So it's just, it's so exciting. It's so inspiring. And like, yeah, you're not going to, not everyone's going to approve of it. 
You know, like I'm sure there were probably some people that were like, oh, well, why is that person putting that up there? I don't like them. This is a much more sophisticated event going on right now. Uh, who invited her? You know what I mean? And like, who cares? Like, like people are so worried about offending other people and wanting to people please and satisfy everyone else and everyone needs to like me. And you spend all that time doing that and you're fucking miserable and you're not living your life. So you might as well fucking live your life, be truthful, do what lights you up. That's my motto. And I just love hearing stories like that. Yeah. Something that's really amazing about the sexual lighting up process is that it breeds that I don't give a fuck factor. So mm -hmm. what I've noticed over the years of doing this work with people is that when they hit a certain stage in their sexual evolution, right, where they're starting to do this work, they're coming into themselves more, they're coming out more they hit a place where they don't give a shit anymore what people think about that. And that's when I know they've hit that threshold after which they won't go back, right? Like they've hit a certain threshold of the work where that life force energy then is so powerful that it's propelling them forward in their lives. And part of what happens then is they don't care. People's opinions ping off of them or go over their head. They don't even notice, right? Because a, a big part of this work often for women is like they come into themselves, they become more sexual, more attractive, more radiant, and they get all this male attention. And especially for women who've had issues in the past or violations in the past, a part of them is like this, right? Yeah. They've contracted and they feel like, well, do I contract? Like, what do I do? They go a little bit further in the work and they can deal with it. It's yeah. like they've got this energetic force field around them of their own power and their own confidence that repels the negative elements of that or it goes over their head, right? Like you're so in your own element that it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You don't get bothered by that. Yeah, I get it. I hear you living your truth. You build that internal resilience and it's just, it does not fucking matter. You know, you can post something and share something and it's like the trolls will come out and it's like, okay, there's a troll. Not like, oh my God, what's, I can't believe I posted that. What's my value as a human? You know, it's just live your life, be you. You're not going to satisfy everyone. Live in your truth. I love it. I just love it. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, something that's coming up for me now also is that like within relationships, we, we, the fucks we give most is what our partner is going to approve of between each other. You know what I mean? And this, this, this is the, this, 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 this is what's underlying us caring about what everyone else thinks. Like we, we still, um, you know I mean, are trying to, to tiptoe around our partners and, and our, and every, and all the little boundaries and walls that we've built for ourselves by not being honest and by not taking ownership and by, you mean, living within the, these white lies and these illusory barriers. Um, so there's just so much to be unblocked through this process, I feel. Yeah. Well, I think that's where like, radical honesty comes in, a commitment, yeah. and this is something I talk about, in a conscious relationship to radical honesty. Yeah. And I think most of us, we grow up in a world where it's more valued to tell a white lie right? And not hurt somebody's feelings than to just level out the truth. But my advice to people in that realm is that you can pretty much say anything, it's all in your tone, right? Like if you convey information in a way that's loving and compassionate, you can say anything. But if you're conveying it in a way that's belittling or, you know, you're not really aware of how you're saying it, yeah, it can be more hurtful. I still think the truth is more important than the lie. And I still would be committed to that. But that's the foundation when I'm working with people and building a conscious relationship is the idea of radical honesty. Like we have a commitment to that because we know that without that, we get money glass 
right? Like that's, and the money glass is going to dilute the power of our connection and the energy power that we are creating and then able to use out in the world. All of that will get diluted. Yeah. I love it. This has been an incredible conversation. Such a pleasure to share this time with you and thank you for joining us. Um, uh, You happy to end this one here, bro? Yeah, I think this is a great place to end. So grateful, Kim, that you uh yeah spent some time with us and shared your wisdom and your knowledge and your energy and it's uh, after all these years it's nice to to mm. connect in person and have a real conversation and and hopefully one day our paths will, our, will cross in person in real time um are there any last things you want to leave for our audience um social media i mean i'm sure people know where to find you we'll list it all in our show notes but anything you want to share upcoming courses you have current courses etc Right. Well, it's been really fun jamming it out with you guys and to speak on different multi-dimensional awareness levels as well without restriction. Um, again, my Instagram, I post daily content. I put out weekly YouTube videos and or podcasts, my orgasmic enlightenment channel, Kimonomi on YouTube. And then I run what I call sexual savant salons, which are online intimacy education programs throughout the year. Vaginal Kung Fu, the hashtag things I lived with my vagina program, coming together for couples, how to be a well-fucked woman, sexual mastery for men, and Sexy Mama, which is a holistic pregnancy and ecstatic birth program, which is another passion of mine. The, you know, the culmination of the holy fuck, which is an orgasmic birth. So equally important. Um, yeah, so those are the behind the paywall where I go deeper with people and can do more in-depth work with them, but plenty of free information out on those other platforms as well. Awesome. Kim, thank you so much to our members. Thank you always for your support. We appreciate you very much and we'll see you next time. Thanks for being here for the truth. Take care. Smoke and mirrors, I'm seeing through the illusion. Waking up in a the time, they think you're in a delusion. Somebody set the alarms, cause they be too busy snoozing. I'm in a DeLorean.